This all-new podcast is presented by Sports Talk Florida. SportstalkFlorida.com has all of your coverage for Tampa Bay sports and well beyond. This week we've got myself and Steve Kinsella breaking down the Rays' head-turning first half and look out soon for Chris Lynch with an exclusive interview from baseball's developmental Cape Cod League. Sports Talk Florida also includes AM 1040 Tampa Bay. Get your takes on sports with Eric Casilius weekday mornings from 7 to 9, Rock Riley on afternoons from 3 to 6, and New York Yankees home games throughout the baseball season. Sports Talk 1040, the team, Tampa Bay, and Sports Talk Florida, winning combination, and our presenting hosts of this podcast. And now, ground under repair. From Florida, the golf capital of the world, I'm Tim Williams, and this is Ground Under Repair. Every week, I'm going to take you inside the world of golf, from the pro game to your own game. We'll talk to some of the people behind the scenes who make golf the game we know and love. We're talking club pros, even course designers, and everything in between. And we'll talk about some of golf's contributions to the entertainment world, including movies, music, and that endless well of golf jokes. I hope to be able to tell one golf joke a week. We'll start with the very philosophy of this podcast, and that is four simple words. Golf is for everyone. I know the sport gets kind of an ugly reputation for being a rich man's game, for being closed off, for being played on country clubs by businessmen trying to make deals. I'm here to tell you that I've been playing the game since I was seven years old, and that's no golf I know. To me, golf is a game played on executive courses, on what are essentially dirt tracks, what are any course you can afford to get on that day, played with secondhand clubs, played with golf balls we buy from those refurbished dozens in Sam's Club. It's not necessarily a rich man's game, and I have one easy way to prove to you that golf is for everybody. We'll get to that later in the podcast, but I just want to take you through what we're going to talk about on episodes here of Ground Under Repair. In addition to this behind-the-scenes look that I'm going to give you at golf, and I've got to tell you, you want to hear from people who design golf courses. You want to hear from the starters, the club pros, the guys on driving ranges, because without them, we wouldn't be able to go play the game of golf as often as we're able to. So on Ground Under Repair, we'll also bring you some looks at the PGA Tour, the Pro Golf Tour going on, and of course this week that means a good look at the Open Championship. I'm recording this on Wednesday morning, so we're less than 24 hours away from the start of the oldest of the majors. I like to believe this is a show for people who truly love golf, who have played it for a long time, who think of it as more than the hype it gets as more than the image it sends out into the world 
who see movies like Caddyshack and Happy Gilmore and take away a golf message as well as everything else that, yeah, you want to be rooting for the underdog. You want to be rooting for the guy without a whole lot of money in his pocket. You want to be rooting against Judge Smales, against Shooter McGavin, and against David Sims from Tin Cup. Really, it's this simple, folks. Golf is for everyone, and you only need look at the history of the PGA Tour to prove it. Look at who some of the best golfers that ever lived were and where they came from. Tiger Woods comes from a military family, a military background. His father retired from the service pretty early on in Tiger's life, but still, I live in the Tampa Bay area. I know of, I certainly know of a lot of people who live in and around the McDill Air Force Base area who can identify with Tiger's background and who almost definitely would not call themselves rich. Lee Trevino did not grow up rich by any stretch of the imagination. He was a decorated champion, but he came from not the greatest part of the Dallas, Texas area, and from a family that didn't have a whole lot in the way of money, yet he managed to find his way onto the PGA Tour and managed to become a legend in his own right. Seve Ballesteros played with just about anything he could strap together and call a golf club growing up. He didn't have almost anything to make into a golf career, and yet he became a major champion and one of the most celebrated in the history of Europe. And of course, then there's Arnold Palmer and Western Pennsylvania and the working class town that Arnold Palmer came from. I know that part of the country. My dad's family's from not far from Latrobe, where where Arnold Palmer grew up and famously his home, and not far from Oakmont, where they still honor him to this day. And outside of Oakmont and its few members, that part of the country is... Well, let's just say not rich. Let's just say there are scenes on the show Justified that while that show took place in Kentucky reminded me in parts of Western Pennsylvania, at least as I know it. And to me, that's where a lot of the Arnold Palmer mythos comes from. That's where Arnie's army came from. The idea that he was more like the people watching golf than anyone else that was playing against him at the time. And if he can win a golf tournament, then whoever you are out there, you can play it too. You can be invited into a golf course. Just find any golf course that will have you, and I promise you, there's a course not far from you that will have you, and you can play too. And that nobody exemplified that more than Arnold Palmer, which is why he's kind of the, the backing for this whole idea that golf is is for everyone. Golf is for all of us. It is important to recognize that in every episode of this podcast, I am going to mention the phrase, golf is for everyone. It's our motto here at Ground Under Repair, and I really hope that you out there think the same way, that you feel the same way about golf, that you want more people to participate, that it matters to you when the game grows, because this is really something that I think a lot of what we get out of golf is universal. I think anyone would appreciate a lot of what the average person gets out of golf. 
it's a frustrating game. It's a humbling game in a lot of ways. No matter how good of a day you had at work or at school or whatever it is you do, you can go out onto the course and do the same thing you do every other round and get a much worse result because that's just how golf wants to be that day. Likewise, a round of golf can take a week where nothing seems to be going right and then suddenly you shoot the best round of your life and you're feeling better and you're you're on the up and up. It's something golf does to you and I don't think you need to make a whole lot of money or come from some privileged background to be able to experience that. I mentioned golf movies earlier. Really, it seems like every golf movie boils down to the fight between the idea that golf is for everyone and the idea that it isn't. You have Shooter McGavin yelling, go back to your shanties at the at the crowd. And by the way, we'll talk about Happy Gilmore a fair amount because I think it's had a profound impact on the PGA Tour. No, I'm not kidding. And you can even go beyond that with golf movies. Tin Cup is about a guy that owns a driving range in the middle of nowhere making a run at the U.S. Open. You're not supposed to root for the established champion that we see throughout the movie. The greatest game ever played, well, that's a true story, but it's a true story of a caddy who ended up being a great golfer in Francis We Met, who I managed to talk to members of his foundation on the original run of this podcast, and We Met was not a rich person, not until the end anyway, and that's, yet again, it's another one of our golf heroes. It just shows something about how we view the game of golf And I think it's the right way to view it. I really do think everyone out there would enjoy a round of golf, or at least you should give it a try. Golf is a party just begging to be crashed, and it's more fun when the world shows up. Think about John Daly and the fun that people got watching him on tour and still get watching him on the Champions Tour. Think about Chi-Chi Rodriguez, who when I was growing up was one of the reasons to watch what used to be called the Senior Tour at the time. Because here's a guy that would, well, he'd have little sword fights using his putter. He'd dance around. He was always smiling, laughing. He always had a good line. And that guy came from humble beginnings and tries to get people into the game to this day. Lives around Clearwater, Florida and does more for youth in golf than almost anyone in the Sunshine State. And that's saying something because, again, we're talking about the golf capital of the world here, Florida. There are some out there who would tell you that golf is just for the rich. There are some out there who believe that golf should be a game closed off to everyone who isn't truly rich, truly in the societal elite, And the rest of us, those who are not allowed to play, should just find it an aspirational thing to look forward to that maybe one day I will be successful enough to play golf. And I just can't agree with that. I just, I don't see the world that way. I don't think golf would be any fun that way. I don't think most of the greats to ever play the game, if not all the greats to ever play the game, would ever be allowed on a golf course under those circumstances. And if that's the case, what's the point of all this exclusion? What's the point of celebrating it? And why would we put it out on Front Street like that? I just never got that. 
It's why I have some really strong beliefs about the game. Beliefs like the U.S. Open and the Open Championship that starts tomorrow at Carnoustie in Scotland. These are the real majors and the closed-off celebration of money and country clubs and exclusion that we see every April. Maybe it's not the best foot for golf to put forward every year. Maybe that's not the thing we should look at as the way we want the world to see golf. Maybe we want golf to be seen more like the sport that the Players' Championship exemplifies. Now, one thing you probably won't get a lot of on Ground Under Repair, one thing I'm going to tell you now that I am not here to give you, tips on your golf game. I I love the game. I've been playing since I was seven years old, but I would not believe I should be a teacher of the game of golf. I still have a baseball grip after all these years. I only shoot in, you know, good rounds in the low 80s for me. So not terrible and certainly enough to be satisfied with my own game, but not enough that I can go tell people, hey, here's how to do it. I still have no feel for my short game. My The loft under my irons shots is kind of inconsistent. I have a slice, which is not ideal. And I, if I knew what to do about it, I wouldn't have it anymore. So I'm not here to give you tips. We might have club pros occasionally give a tip or two. And if I had any piece of advice, it would only be to play more golf, that no one's ever going to get better about the game just sitting around and thinking about golf. Although, you know, you can get a little better trying to tweak your game, but you really just need to be out on the course. Your, your score will drop the more you play golf, and, you know, don't listen to any other advice I give but that's the best I got for you is if you feel inconsistent, of course you're inconsistent. You work a real job, so you don't have that much time to play golf. Most of us are inconsistent for the same reason. The more you're able to play, the more consistent you'll be, and the more your scores will drop. It's time for the golf joke of the week. With such a long history and such a frustrating set of rules, it's no wonder that golf is a sport loaded with jokes and anecdotes and funny stories. Here on Ground Under Repair, we seek to capture a little bit of that and give it to you with every episode in our golf quote of the week. For our relaunch, I'm going with one of my all-time favorite golf jokes, and this one comes from the great Lee Trevino, who I mentioned earlier. If you're caught on a golf course during a storm and you're afraid of lightning, hold up a one-iron. Not even God can hit a one-iron. We're going to take a quick break and come right back to you. This is Ground Under Repair, the golf podcast on the all-new Sports Talk Florida Podcast Network. So before we get into an Open Championship preview, and oh boy do I want to do an Open Championship preview for the relaunch here of Ground Under Repair on the Sports Talk Florida Podcast Network. But first, we should talk about a headline that came around last week, did a couple rounds, and you might see it in the next couple of days since in baseball's all-star break, there's really no other sports going on, so there's not much to talk about. You've probably heard by now that there is a proposed match in the works that may get done in which Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods are going to play an exhibition 
for $10 million. There is a lot to break down here about the idea of Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods playing for $10 million mano a mano in late 2018 from the looks of it. Although, again, this is not set in stone. This is not a finished deal. We're not entirely sure where or when or if. So this is just one of those stories you see on the sports headlines every now and again that you know it's coming from a reputable source. You know that someone's talking about this somewhere, but we'll never really know how close it is to reality unless it really happens. I think I have to start with a simple question because I love watching Phil play golf. I think Phil Mickelson is another example of what makes golf fun, what makes you want to go play golf after you watch people play golf for a round. But I've got to ask this question about Phil because I really am wondering here, is Phil Mickelson the most celebrated gambler of the last couple centuries? I think he might be. I think he might even pass fictional gamblers like Maverick. Gambling is, in a way, a part of golf after all. We've all seen people who play for money in their weekend foursome. I think Phil kind of has ended up representing that side of golf, the the hyper-competitive, how-much-you-want-to-put-on-this-putt side of the game of golf. And, you know, Phil Mickelson, he's a lot of things to a lot of people, but I think he's also golf's representative to that amateur world that we see on almost every course in the country on a Sunday afternoon. That's why people take a little too long on the greens sometimes. That's why it looks like a bunch of guys who can hardly play that are the group in front of you spend more time on their putts than your average pro because they probably have money riding on it. It's a thing people do all the time and Phil Mickelson's kind of the pro representative of that mentality. We know those people are out there. We know they hang out at 19th holes across the country and here they have in a way sort of a patron saint in Phil Mickelson. I think more than any other athlete, certainly, even Michael Jordan, who was pretty well documented for his habits of going to places like Atlantic City during playoff series, I think Phil Mickelson might be sports most celebrated gambler, and honestly, I'm not sure it's close. Speaking of Jordan, you have to wonder how much Michael Jordan has rubbed off on Tiger Woods over the years. The two are famously friends, and... Famously, Tiger doesn't have a lot of really close friends, at least not many he wants the world to see or that are out in the public eye. And of course, Michael Jordan's chief among them. It's worth wondering whether Michael Jordan's habits as it pertains to putting down money on things have rubbed off a little bit on his friend Tiger Woods. After all, Tiger and Michael Jordan became friends when Tiger was still a pretty young guy, and it would be hard to not let the greatest basketball player, this larger-than-life icon, and if you don't remember the late 90s, Michael Jordan was a household name in a way that athletes aren't now. And I include LeBron James, and I include the most famous athletes of our time in that conversation. You believed that almost everyone in the world knew not just who Michael Jordan was, but what he had done the previous night. 
we don't necessarily think of Jordan this way because he seems so methodical as a player, but when Michael Jordan was in his prime and still to this day, that's a guy that likes to go out and have fun. That's a guy that likes to go do some things that, well, I'm sure they're a lot of fun, but they're also the reason we have phrases like always in moderation. And Tiger was a young man when he hooked up with Jordan for the first time and started to hang out with Michael Jordan. So it's worth wondering the degree to which Michael rubbed off on Tiger and whether that would come out in a $10 million one-on-one match, which is really the next point here. We all want to see some trash talking, don't we? This is something really across all sports. I... I kind of know deep down that rivals in sports, they understand each other more than they have differences because they've gone through this weird existence of being a professional athlete, which is, well, it's no life you or I've ever lived. So Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods probably have more in common than different, But at the same time, when you've been pitted against each other for so long, and especially on Phil Mickelson's end, to be asked about chasing the same guy for so long as though Phil's Wiley Coyote and Tiger's the Roadrunner, it's got to wear on you to a degree. And given the chance, I would love to just see some real all-out trash talk between these two. It doesn't seem like it's really in either of their nature it probably wouldn't serve either of them well for their brands or their future or their endorsements or really their status on tour as both are beloved characters on tour and for good reason. So it probably won't happen, but if you're going to get a match between two people for $10 million after this many rounds they've played already, I would want to see it be an all-out verbal brawl over the four and a half hours it would take them to get around that golf course. I have to be perfectly honest here, though. As much as this is a fun headline to read, and it's fun to imagine Tiger and Phil playing this all-out grudge match for $10 million, this isn't good for golf. I'm sorry, I think it's time that golf stopped waiting for... Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson to roll back the clock 10 years and be back in their golfing primes and back winning tournaments again. I love watching both of them play. I'm always rooting for Phil. I'd always like to see Tiger lift another major trophy or two or three. I'd like to see him get back. I'd like to see him have a victory lap where he enjoys the impact that he has had on tour and the before and after picture that is the rest of the field when he came into the game in the mid-90s and now in his 40s when you've got Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Hideki Matsuyama, Tommy Fleetwood, and a lot of others. There seem to be new ones coming up every week. Xander Shoffley. And it's countless, it's endless at this point, the list of great golfers are coming out of the woodwork, and you have to think that Tiger had a big impact. So I want him to have that victory lap, but I think that golf is still a little obsessed with Tiger and Phil, and it's getting to the point where 
maybe the sport should start to talk about moving on, not away from them entirely. Again, they're still going to be on tour. They still could win. They still could win this week. But as long as golf's strategy seems to be to wait for Tiger and Phil to come back to where they used to be, especially Tiger, if that's really all that's going to move the needle for golf, then what does that say of the future of the sport? Tiger's in his 40s. He's not going to be playing that much longer. And he just, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about this, I don't know the guy, but he's never struck me as the kind of guy that's going to want to come back for a long run on the Champions Tour. So when Tiger retires from the PGA, Tiger might just be more or less gone. Two years from now, Tiger Woods will be in his mid-40s after all the injuries he's had, all the surgeries he's had, and all the work he's had to do off the course just to get back to a place where he feels comfortable playing on tour again regularly. In the same two years, Phil Mickelson will be 50 years old. 50. He'll be around the game forever. The guy's never going to leave the golf course, really. I could definitely see Phil going for a long run on the Champions Tour the way Arnie did, the way Jack did, the way Chichi Rodriguez did. I could definitely see him taking every victory lap he gets in a way that Tiger might not. But the idea that Phil Mickelson's going to be dominant for years to come, well, those days have passed too. He still might win his, you know career grand slam by winning a u.s open one of these days it still could happen but it's looking less likely by the day and it's certainly the days of him in his absolute prime have passed and the reason i'm bringing this up isn't to say that phil's done or tiger's done again i'm rooting for both of them but it's going to be hard to move on to the field of the justin thomas's the jordan speeds the dustin johnson's of the world if golf just won't do it, if golf's going to keep waiting for Tiger Woods to come back out of that phone booth and be Superman once again, what does that say of the investment golf's putting into their great young field? If you look at who's less than 35 on tour, you have basically every great and notable player except for Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. So you've got a really loaded field. And it seems to me that golf is taking an opportunity to promote them and passing it up so they can continue to live in an era of Tiger and Phil that may have kind of left us five years ago. And that's sad to think about. Again, we all love these guys. But at the same time, it's not going to be good for the long-term health of the PGA Tour or the sport of golf in general if in a few years all we're talking about is how great golf was 20 years ago. I'm sure many of you out there will disagree with me on this, but I think that the sport in terms of how it promotes itself should move Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson a little bit more to the periphery and make room for the young guns that are taking over the tour. We'll get to an open preview and close out our Sports Talk Florida debut episode of Ground Under Repair in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about the Sports Talk Florida and News Talk Florida all-new podcast lineup. 
Of course, you're already listening to our golf show, Ground Under Repair, with myself, Tim Williams. But there's more on the way. Our NHL podcast, Chris Lynch's Bag Skate, is coming very soon. He's working on his debut episode as we speak. Also, stay tuned for podcasts from our senior baseball analyst, Steve Kinsella, as well as a college football pod hosted by Tyler Bradley and Tim Mallard, as heard on AM 1040 Tampa Bay, the team. We'll also have clips from the Eric Casillas show and the Rock Riley show with so many more pods on the way. NFL, Tampa Bay sports, maybe MMA, maybe boxing. There's so much to talk about. So where else to turn but the one and the only Sports Talk Florida. These are the all new podcast lineups from SportsTalkFlorida.com. And now back to ground under repair. Okay, so... I guess it's time to talk about the Open Championship, the third major of the year, the oldest of the major championships, and this one's going to be a special one as it comes from Carnoustie in Scotland. We know as people who have seen the Open Championship over the years that this is one of the greater venues out there to see the Open Championship. It looks great on television. It looks hard on television. This is one of the hardest courses in the UK, and I don't know about you, but I love when a major championship has a particularly tough course that wreaks havoc on the golfers. I loved the U.S. Open this year at Shinnecock Hills. I can't wait to see the Open at Carnoustie. As always these days, the field is wide open with that class of under 30 talent that seems to be unique to golf history combined with some established champions like Dustin Johnson and of course, as we mentioned before, Tiger and Phil lurking around. Tiger will be back in action and we'll talk a lot about El Tigre in this space. Every tournament he enters is another chance for him to get back into the winner's circle, but To me, he's still shaking off a bit of rust. He's been doing it all throughout the 2018 golf season. Tiger has looked excellent at times. He's looked like his old self at times. Like a couple of rounds at the Valspar Championship here in the Tampa Bay area, he looked like the Tiger of old, but he hasn't done it for four in a row yet. He hasn't been able to put it together, and it's mostly just because he's out of practice. If you look... Since 2013, Tiger hasn't really been able to play a full golf schedule once, so he's not just coming back from a year off due to injury, he's coming back from a good five-year stretch where he's been battling. What this means is it's still probably going to be a little bit before he finds his stride again, but as long as he's healthy, and that's the important thing, is that Tiger Woods looks healthier than he's looked in a long time so he's able to play a more full schedule he's able to play more regularly and it's starting to show so maybe this will be the week he shakes off the rust but to me I would bet on him a little more in next year's range I think he he could be extremely good in the 2019 PGA season when the when the schedule shifts quite a bit as well And I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot on Ground Under Repair as the coming schedule change for 2019 is going to make the golf season a lot more fun. But staying in the present, 
I don't know about Tiger in this tournament. I just haven't seen him put four rounds together yet. I think the health is there, but he's still shaking off the rust. He still needs to get back into that groove. And the more he plays, the more chance he has of doing that. I think it's only a matter of time, but we've still got time. Because of the loaded field, it's really hard to make predictions. There are a bunch of players to watch in just about every major, however, and one of them is Hideki Matsuyama. Matsuyama has an attention-grabbing game, as he's one of the best ball strikers in the world. He also plays a ton. It seems like whenever golf's on TV, Hideki Matsuyama is somewhere in the field and he's lurking. He's firmly in that under-30 crowd. He has the backing at times of what seems like the entirety of Japan. It's easy to watch him play golf and imagine big things ahead. And what makes his game so fascinating, why he doesn't have a major in his trophy case yet, are probably the same thing, that his wonderful ball striking pairs with some really inconsistent putting. He is a walking demonstration of that old statement, drive for show, putt for dough. If that statement could reproduce, its child would play golf a lot like Hideki Matsuyama. So, and, but that only means it just takes four rounds with the flat stick for Matsuyama to walk into his first major. And I think it's only a matter of time for him. But there are a bunch of people who you could say it's only a matter of time for. Ricky Fowler has been in that category for years now. And he's playing as well this year as he's played really in a long time. So I would not be at all surprised to see Ricky Fowler make a deep run for this to finally be his time. And he's part of that group with Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas and others where... If he does end up winning the tournament, a number of those other guys will be in the gallery on 18 cheering him on once they realize they personally can't win it. They'll become the biggest fans in the world of Ricky Fowler. This is something I've never seen in, well, not just golf, but any sport. This is amazing, this tour of friends that's kind of going on now. And it makes you hope that sooner or later when Ricky Fowler breaks through, there's going to be a party on the 18th green at that tournament. And it could be Carnoustie, it could be this week. It could also be Tommy Fleetwood. We talk about all these young guys as though they're all American for the most part, but Fleetwood's among those young guys and he would be closer to a hometown kid. He hails from the UK. He is fantastic and he plays a style of game that is well suited for those open courses where the weather and the elements play as large a factor as they will in any tournament out there. I just love that every one of the majors has its own feel and personality. That the Masters is such a tournament of tradition and everyone plays the same course every year so you're really comparing yourself to what you played the year before and everyone's learning from Augusta, and they have their own histories with this course. So, of course, the Masters has that familiar feel to it. The U.S. Open is the ultimate test of the golfer against the golf course because it's really the one where the golf course is primed to fight back, as we saw with Shinnecock this year. And the PGA is, of course, the tournament of peers that even the amateurs that qualify aren't really amateurs. They're 
they're club pros that qualify through the PGA's unique system of getting into that tournament. That's a lot of fun as well. But the Open Championship, the British Open, if you will, has its own feel, its own unique battle that you don't see in any other tournament, and that's man versus the elements. That the wind plays a larger factor in the UK than it seems to play at any of the other majors. If it rains, the rain matters more than it matters at the other majors. It's just a tournament where the weather can really make a difference. If it's hot and dry, everyone's hitting the ball farther, but the greens are tougher. If it's cold and wet, everything's slow, and if you hit the ball into the rough, you're just out of luck. And because Lynx courses are the way they are with so few trees and usually not a whole ton of water, it's always... There are no shortcuts, there are no trick shots, there are no gimmicks you can play. And stripped of those, that tournament has a different feel than all the other tournaments throughout the year just because of that. It's the tournament where the common duffer watching the tournament will make the most noise, and it will usually be a pained ooh when someone hits into one of those bunkers. Those pot bunkers. We deal with them occasionally in nice courses in the U.S. where someone will dig out a real pot bunker, but none the way that they have at a course like Carnoustie, where it just seems like you're up against a giant wall. Like you're hitting the. Like suddenly there's a sand pit in Fenway Park's left field and you've got to get the ball onto Lansdowne Street. Another great thing about the Open Championship from an American fan perspective is that for the most part it's on in the morning and if you're allowed to stream things at work, and by the way, if you're not allowed to stream things at work, you know, don't let me endorse something that will get you in trouble. But if you are allowed to stream things at work, this is the great work tournament because it can be on during the day, Thursday and Friday, you can watch most of the action from your desk. It happens during the afternoon and early into the morning when there's really no other sports on, especially since it's the all-star break and there are just no sports anyway. Sports have gone off on vacation in the United States for a few days. So we get the Open Championship. We get a good chance to watch golf in the morning. It, it reminds everybody who likes to play but hasn't played in a while that they should really get the clubs out again and make some time for it. It's part of the great feel of the Open Championship that because of the time difference, it's always on in the mornings in the United States. It's a great thing to wake up to. To close, since I've mentioned it a couple of times, I really should talk about why I believe that Florida is the golf capital of the world. And I think it's obvious that there's no end to the golf season in Florida. That if you can deal with the heat, you can play almost anywhere in... I live in the Tampa Bay area, and it looks like the courses have just gone so far down in price since it's gotten hot. If you can deal with the heat, you can play almost any course for an affordable price throughout the summer. And in the winter, well, there's really no winter. You can go out and play golf in the middle of January, and it will almost definitely be comfortable for you. Unless it's that one week a year where it gets down to like 40. 
Florida's where the PGA Tour calls home. They're based over by TPC Sawgrass. It's also where the Players' Championship has had its home for so long, playing at Sawgrass. The Florida Swing is a big part of the golf season, which will now include that Players' Championship, which has moved to March. So many of the great golf schools are down this way. So many of the great golfers choose to make their home in Florida over the years because they can always play, they can always train, and they can always go not too far to find another member of the PGA Tour, someone they can identify with. Florida produces pros, Florida collects pros. People move down to Florida just so they can play more golf. This is a state that golf calls home. Jacksonville is the only city in America that I can truly say is a golf city as opposed to a baseball city or a football city or a basketball city. Jacksonville's sport, and this is no disrespect to the great Jaguars and their wonderful fans, but Jacksonville's preferred sport has always been golf. I guess you could say the same thing of Orlando because there are so many golf courses in the Orlando area. So that's another one that you could say maybe their preferred sport, with all due respect to the long-suffering and hard-working Orlando Magic fans, their real default sport is the game of golf in central and northern Florida, and it's because so many people move there to play it and because so many of the greatest courses really in the world are located here in Florida. So let no one tell you otherwise, Sunshine Staters. Not Georgia, not Scotland, not California, not the Pebble Beach area in specific. The golf capital of the world is Florida. It is the Sunshine State. It is where people move just to play more golf and where even the best courses are courses that you too could go play without that much work so long as you can come up with the money. That'll do it for this week's relaunch of Ground Under Repair on the Sports Talk Florida Podcast Network. I'm your host, Tim Williams. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us at Ground Under Repair. We're also on Blog Talk Radio. And of course, visit sportstalkflorida.com for all your Tampa Bay sporting needs. We have plenty of Rays coverage, lots of Bucks coverage, lots of Tampa Bay Lightning coverage. We're going to start getting into even the Rowdies very soon. So trust me, if you love Tampa Bay sports, you'll get it at sportstalkflorida.com. And of course, if you're in your cars and you're in the Tampa Bay area, tune your radios to 1040 a.m. to hear Sports Talk 1040, the team with the Eric Casillia Show on mornings from 7 to 9 and the Rock Riley Show on weekday afternoons from 3 to 6. That's Sports Talk 1040, the team, and sportstalkflorida.com, and we are proud to be on the Sports Talk Florida Podcast Network. I'm Tim Williams. This has been Ground Under Repair. Fairways and greens, everybody.